Theology Thursday live, and we are 12 minutes. I have a timer. This part right here doesn't count towards my 12 minutes. There. Today we're looking at parallelism. It's in the, it's under genre. So when you're interpreting the Bible, one of the things you have to look at is what's the form of writing that you have. Is it literature? Is it history? So what we're looking at today is poetry. Um, how do you recognize poetry from regular prose? Okay, prose, P-R-O-S-E, that's a word that just means normal, regular writing. Okay, so poetry is different. I'm reading through the Lord of the Rings, and um, he'll bust out into a poem, and all sorts of poem. I mean, he'll use these names that you can't, you know, pronounce very well and stuff without some, some work. And so I'm like, yeah. I don't want to skip it because I want to say I read the whole thing, but a lot of times, and if I'm reading something else, and they'll start to go into a poem or, or a song or something, I'm like, let's get on with it. Um, but what poetry does is, part of the reason for poetry is it slows you down. Um, it's supposed to make you think, and I think it's one of the reasons when I'm reading in a book and then poetry is busted out into, um, I'm like, Ugh. Um, you can't understand it so much at first, unless it's something you're very familiar with, but it's intentionally there to slow you down. So why would an author want to slow you down? Um, because sometimes it's you need to think, and poetry is like art. Um, it enables a person who's expressing him, his or herself to be able to, um, to, to do more than just what um, just the facts tell you. And here's an example, okay? So this is um, Exodus, unless you think I come up with all this on my own. So why would I do? But I thought of parallelism, and it made me think of this book, Tremper Longman III. It's backwards on the screen. I know it's called How to Read the Psalms. It's pretty good um, if you like reading this sort of thing. All right, time's a waste in Exodus 14, beginning in verse 26. I'm going to read an account, and then you're going to read in verse in chapter 15 a poetic account of that. So, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back over the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its course when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord that the great Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then you get the song of Moses. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, 
shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send them out with your fury. It consumes them like stubble. And it goes on, but you can hear the, the more emotion in it and what he's trying to get across. So uh, this is one of my favorite subjects, actually, if I'm teaching the Bible. Uh, I think this is really um, one of the funnest things you can do when you're reading the Bible. And it's also one of the more informative. So it's just really good. You go to the particular Psalms or Proverbs and you look for parallelism. Parallel is a word that means just like railroad tracks, they, they, um, they don't cross. They're, they're, they don't intersect each other. They're parallel. So parallelism is a literary device. It's not just in the Bible. It's in different um, types of writing, but particularly in poetry. Hebrew poetry is not like other types of Western poetry. There's not a lot of rhyming, if any. Um, there's not um, meter where it's like da 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 It's not like that at all. Uh, but what you do see is a lot of imagery, and you see uh, this parallelism. So that's what we're going to look at. Um, so the first one is from Psalm 2, and there's four types of parallelism that I'm going to look at. Uh, synonymous, antithetic, synthetic, and repetitive. Okay, I remembered Sasser. Um, synonymous, antithetic, synthetic, and repetitive. You don't have to remember them. It's just kind of know that all parallelism is not the same. So this is synonymous. So parallelism, you have one line, or it can be more than one and more than two, but usually it's like one line and another line. That's easiest to look at. So one line says one thing, and then another line says about the same thing but a little bit different so what it does is you have a and then b um, kind of gives you the same thing but it adds a little flavor to it or it advances the idea somewhat so um, example psalm 2 uh, synonymous parallelism why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain okay so the nations and the peoples that's kind of the same thing they rage and plotting in vain, okay? So who are we talking about? The peoples, all these different peoples, and they're raging. How are they expressing this rage? They're plotting, and it's in vain. So it's not just they're raging, because that could be like, oh, my goodness, they're coming after us. But maybe they are, but it's in vain. And then he says, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. See, kings of the earth, rulers, set themselves. What's that mean? They take counsel together. And then he gets his third idea, what are they doing? Against the Lord and against his anointed. And that's another type of parallelism. It's called a synthetic parallelism. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords upon us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Who sits in the heavens? The Lord. What's it mean he laughs? He holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his fury. And terrifying them in his fury, he will say... And he goes on. And then you have antithetic parallelism in um, Proverbs 10. And you read this. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. See, they do the opposite things. A wise son, foolish son. Uh, verse 2. Treasure gained by wickedness does not prof prof profit, a, but righteousness delivers from death. Treasures gained by wickedness. What's the opposite of that? Righteousness. And those don't profit, but righteousness delivers from death. So what does it mean to have a prophet? It means to be delivered from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. He thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Um, and it goes on. Let's see what else we have. The synthetic, you have this, Psalm 126. When the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. 
Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So you're looking, you're like, all right, where's the parallelism? Let me read these lines. So when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, and then what's he say? We were like those who dream. So you see he's using this. You know, when the Lord did this, what were we like? We were like those who dream. Go on, say more. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Okay, so our tongues. And then among the nations, they said the Lord has done great things for them when he restored the fortunes of Zion. Then you have this uh, repetitive parallelism, Psalm 29 it says this, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So you have this repetitiveness, 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 and that's one of the ways that um, it was being done to, to get the point across so that you could could hear it. So as you're memorizing these things too, it's easier to memorize because they're they're doing it um, over and over. And then so here Psalm 1. And what we're going to do is um, just look at Psalm 1 and we're just going to look at parallelism. And there's lots of different types of parallelism, okay, like I said. Um, but what you want to do is you want to look for it. You want to try to say, all right, let me look at this poetry here and, and read the one line and then the second line. And so what does this tell me about What's that second line explain about that first line? Or how does that first line kind of inform that second line even? But um, it can be really an interesting thing to do when you're reading through the Psalms and take your time and do that. So Psalm 1, blessed is the man, and this is an interesting thing he does. So it's going to talk about somebody who's blessed. Then when you go down to verse, you have to go all the way down to verse 5, and it says, but the wicked, okay, so we're going to have this parallelism that goes across this whole Poem. So you got blessed people and then the wicked. Um, so Psalm 1, uh, verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. See, it's a little bit of a repetitiveness, but it's different. So one is, first you're, you're walking, and then you're standing, and then you're sitting. Okay, so that's different. You can walk past some people, with some people, it's like, okay, but I'm just passing through. But you're blessed if you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Okay. Um, but then standing somewhere is like, okay, you kind of, you've taken a stand and you sit, you've just, you're now you're living with them. You're just there with them. So, but you're blessed if you don't walk. And then it's got these three different types of people. You don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers. Okay. So it's the same thing. The counsel of the wicked, don't listen, wicked sinners, scoffers. These are all, you know, what can you learn from this? It's three different ways of looking at these different people. You shouldn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You don't stand in the way of sinners. You don't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So, what's it, so if you're walking and standing and sitting, you're delighting in the counsel of the wicked. You're delighting in the way of sinners. You're delighting in, with scoffers. But a blessed man is going to delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he will meditate day and night. And then we get into um, symbolism. Um, he's like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff. That the wind drives away. So you're planted, yielding, and your leaf doesn't wither, but the wicked are not like there. It's like chaff, that stuff you blow and it goes away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners 
so they won't stand in judgment. It doesn't mean they're not going to stand in judgment. When judgment comes, they're not going to be able to stand. They're going to be cast down. Nor will sinners um, in the, stand in the congregation of the righteous. They're not going to be able to be there. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, just have more time. But um, parallelism, look for it in, in Hebrew poetry. We're going to look at um, some different aspects of Hebrew poetry because it has a lot to do with Psalms and Proverbs and also when we start to look at how do you interpret prophetic writings. And that's going to be important because um, we use prophecy. So what was being prophesied? Is it something that's already been prophesied? Is it already passed? Is it something coming? Is it prophesied about us? Is it prophesied about somebody else? And you will see sometimes it has something to do with the people then, and it can be carried on to meaning something to people now. But you kind of have to understand the idea of parallelism and then a chiastic structure. We're going to talk about that. And it's not really, no, this is complicated. It's just sometimes when you use these words that are technical words and you don't know what they mean at first, some people just gloss over and say, I can't learn that. And it's like, yeah, you can. Parallel, it's like two things that mean the same thing. We'll read a line and a second line, and you've probably noticed it if you read much of this before. So um, read it, see where you can find it, and see what it explains. And if you're teaching something or talking to somebody else or praying to God about these things, look and see the parallelism that you notice in Hebrew poetry. All right, pray for us. We'll pray for you. Um, stay in the Word. Um, pray for illumination from the Holy Spirit. He wrote it, he'll explain it to you, and just spend time in it. Amen.